JC, I was raised by, raised by Midwesterners and don't know how to finish a conversation or speak on anything shortly. Sievert here. Welcome to Lemmy Jaja, my podcast about media and hockey. Uh, this is part two of my episode with my friend Jack concerning the A&E series God or the Girl. Uh, if you haven't, please listen to part one. That's where we kind of set up context for the show. We set up our credentials, I guess you could call them, as uh, people who can speak on Catholicism, uh, experts in the field, uh, as well as the first two boys in the show. Uh, so please go ahead and listen to that. Uh, and please enjoy. So our third young man is Mike. Uh, Mike is 23 years old, and he lives in Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, really, I looked it up. Mike only nominally lives in Scranton in the same way that someone who lives in, like, Reston, Virginia, lives in D.C. Ooh. Um, even less so, I looked it up. Mike's hometown is like an hour and a half from Scranton. Oh, yeah. That's it, definitely it would be, the equivalent of, like, rest into D.C. It, it would be like if I said I grew up in D.C. <laughs> you would be like, you did not. You did <laughs> that is not. incorrect. <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone knows that uh, D.C. has a lot of forest. And, uh, you know, you, you run around in there barefoot. You can hear the cattle before they die. Yeah. <laughs> screaming. Yeah. Um, but Mike... Uh, says that he felt called to be a priest at the age of 17 when he was an altar boy. Um, and he felt that calling through his uh, priest and mentor, Father Paselli. We're going to get into Father Paselli later. <laughs> hmm. um, <laughs> um, Father, or um, Mike, the, like, the episode one kind of journey he goes on is he is introducing his girlfriend, Allie, to his family. Um, and Father Paselli. Um, and so he, he takes her to his house. And the first thing that jumped out to me is I was like, oh my God, Allie's definitely met these people before. Like, it's really awkward because like, they're pretending that this is the first time for like TV purposes, but she's definitely been here before. That's why they make that choice. I don't know. I also got the vibe that later when she meets Father Paselli, they had met before. Lame. Um, fake. Um, but they, they definitely haven't been dating for very long. Um, they've definitely only been dating for like three or four months. Hmm. Um, so it's not too long, but it's long enough that like they're, they're pretty established in their relationship. It's not too long, but 
long enough that like they forgot, you know, about her. Yeah. So they're like, well, we haven't seen her in a while. Yeah. Yeah, his parents and Father Paselli do not know her. They're like, who? They're like, you keep bringing home other women. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, the so other friends. The other thing about Mike is Mike is a gem. He's probably my favorite. Uh, actually, scratch that. He's definitely my favorite um, of of the boys. He is the least objectionable. Um, um, Mike is the only one where you definitely feel like this is a real choice for him. Okay. Um, for reasons I'll get into in a second. Um, but so he introduces Allie to his family. Um, he kind of drives her around his hometown. And then he pulls up to this house. And he walks inside, and in the kitchen, standing stiff as a board, is an older Italian priest named Father Paselli. He's not that old, but he's, like, older. Um, he's got salt and pepper hair. That's, that's the marker. Mm-hmm. Um, and Father Paselli is what I would describe as a dark and sinister force in Mike's delightful life. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> um, Father Paselli is like immediately really biz- weird towards Allie. Um, he's very standoffish towards her. At one point, she says something to him, and he like doesn't respond to her at all. Um, I'm uh, imagining like Anthony Hopkins in like, a <laughs> horror movie like, yeah, in horror Silence movie. of the or Silence of the Lambs. No, he oh. like did a priest horror movie. Oh, is that The Exorcist? No, it's a different one. I don't. He I'm, did, he I'm, just, did a, I'm just listing movies. No, you're fine. He did a he was a priest in a horror movie, and he like goes off, <laughs> and that's the energy I'm imagining. Kind of possessed priest. Yeah, imagine if you saw something like that, but you never see the part where the priest snaps. You just only get the build-up, and then the show ends. Incredible. <laughs> um, Father Paselli is extremely weird towards her. Um, this is my boy. Kind of. This one's mine. Kind of. At one point, Allie makes a joke. A joke? Um, that Father Paselli is protective of Mike and jealous of Allie. So they, they again, joke that he hates her and wants Mike for himself. And, y- and no one laughs. Yeah, and no nobody laughs. Um, it's it's really weird. So then, Mike starts showing Allie like the upstairs part of this house, and I was like, "That's weird." And then he's like, "That's Father Paselli's room. That's Father Paselli's room at the end of the hall." And I was like, "That's really weird." And then he opens a door, and Allie goes, "Oh, it's like a little a little living quarters." Um, and she's like, "This is like a little living room," and he's like, "Yeah." Yeah, he's like it's uh it's it's like kind of like a dorm type setting, and then he opens another door and he walks in and he goes and this is my room. That's what I was wondering <laughs> what he was gonna say. And you discover it's like a horror movie twist that Mike lives here. Oh my god! I've I've done so much research on whether or not this is allowed, and the most I can come up with is I don't, I don't know shit. There's nothing really there that indicates whether or not a lay person is allowed to live with a priest. Um, it's really bizarre. Uh, it feels really weird. That is... He's 23. Yes. 
Is he in seminary or in a school or? Um, he has been. To, I think he's he's graduated college. Okay. Um, I don't think he's been to seminary. I think right now he's trying to decide if he wants to go to seminary or if he wants to. Uh, again, the way the show frames it, um, fuck bitches. Got it. So he was like, you know what? I'm if I really want to live with priests, I should live with a priest first. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really weird, especially because you meet his family. You're like, why is he not at his house? Why are you at this priest's house? It's it's really bizarre. It, uh, Father Pacelli's born. No, no, nobody really thinks it's weird other than, like, you. You're like, the show is gaslighting you. <laughs> the show's like, this is normal, you're crazy. This is perfectly fine. Boys do this constantly. Yeah, this this happens all the time. Every yo. priest gets a boy. <laughs> that never mind. <laughs> Cut that. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Um, Mike mentions at one point during this episode that uh, uh, because they like hang out for like the rest of the day in the Father Pacelli and Mike's house, um, in their house, <laughs> um, and. Continue. And Mike mentions at one point he's like, "I want to hug and kiss Allie, but I think that might be lust." And you're like, "Oh my man, <laughs> you're gonna save Father Pacelli." <laughs> um. And then, uh, she's been there for like, so she's been in Pennsylvania for the whole day. Um, and it turns out Allie goes to college in Boston. She's, I think, a year or two younger than Mike. Um. And they don't, they, they don't say how they met at all. That's never brought up. Presumably it's an online type of situation. Um, but Father... Uh, Allie's like, what are you guys doing for the rest of the day? And Father Pacelli is like, we're going to... We're, uh, we're doing a wedding later. And then he kind of says... And it's weird, because I had to watch this a couple times. Father Pacelli goes, you want to come? And Allie is like, um, and then Mike, like, shakes his head. He's like, no, you don't want to come. He's like, no. Um, but it feels less like Mike is trying to, like, get her out of there, and more that Mike understands that this is not a real offer. Ah. It's very, it's very bizarre. Um, Father Pacelli then has a talking head, and he starts going off about how Mike... Mike, quote-unquote, feels that his girlfriends uh, are controlling and tell him what to do. Um, <laughs> and that they're, and the, uh, Father Pacelli thinks that Allie is a distraction. Okay. <laughs> it, Father. Um, this, uh, this is, uh, the, like, running interaction between Mike and Father Pacelli throughout the rest of the show. But at the end of this episode, at the end of this first episode, Mike gets a call from a local school district who want to offer him a teaching job. And Mike is like, when do you need an answer? And they're like, in six days. And so... This is really interesting because for the first time in this show, because they have a month to decide on, like, the show's timeline. Yeah. In this is a situation in which, just by life situations, we now have an urgent decision that Mike has to make now. And interestingly enough, it has nothing to do with women. <laughs> it is God or teaching. 
As it should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, this this is where the show gets really interesting. Um, uh, so in episode two, Mike is like extremely stressed out over this decision. And so he drives to Boston to go see Allie and like talk to her, um, which Father Pacelli hates. I'm sure he does. Um, supposed to talk to me about your feelings. <laughs> And it turns out from his, basically his conversation is he's like, I don't know what I want to do. And Allie, who is also a gem, is like, that's okay. You don't have, you don't like, like, take a minute, think about it. If you do want to be a priest, I'm going to be okay with that too. Um, She then reveals in a talking head that she will be devastated if he is a priest, but you can't say that to him. He's like trying to make a decision and she doesn't want to unduly influence that. Damn. Um, she she is like a phenomenal person. Holy shit. Um, then uh, it's it's also revealed during this conversation that uh, Mike has wanted to be a teacher for like his whole life, which hasn't been mentioned at all. But I guess to be fair, it's called God or the Girl, not Kids or the Girl. Um, <laughs> School or the Girl. Yeah. <laughs> um chalkboard or the girl i don't know this is a pretty um this is a pretty episode two is a pretty mike light episode um to make room for dan's cross journey um but so uh mike comes back to his hometown and father Pacelli reveals that he has set up a retreat for him at like this mountain retreat center um for mike to have some alone time to make his decision um so mike gets his stuff together and he goes to this retreat center um and he talks to like a really old priest there and he kind of has a similar conversation that joe does with the uh old priest at niagara falls where this uh this priest is like you know you're never going to be 100 percent sure it's impossible um and so Mike decides to take the job. Never, no one's picking God <laughs> anymore these days. Who's picking God? None of these boys. Um, They're but, picking school and the girl. I, this is two teachers. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but so he goes to back to his hometown from the retreat center because he has to tell Father Pacelli his decision. Oh. <laughs> And Father Pacelli decides to be the biggest bitch about this information. Hell he is yeah. such a piece of shit. <laughs> I, I was watching this show and I was like, Father Pacelli is a bitch and an asshole for the way he talks to Mike. I mean, that's, ex- like, with the passive aggression you're talking about, yeah. that's what I expected from this yeah. man. If you're gonna, like, like, pitch a fit. Yeah. That's, stay in character. So he... He kind of does, but he's, like, really passive-aggressive and, like, manipulative about it. Oh, that's uh, less fun. Um, and so he tells he tells uh, Father Pacelli, he's like, I've decided to take this job and be a teacher. And Father Pacelli does this little, like, eye, eye, uh, eyebrow raise at him. And that was the moment I knew, like, oh, man, like, he's not going to take this information well. But so he says to Mike, wow. Just a dagger right into me. Whoa. Okay. Actually, 
I think Mike got out of a good situation. Got out of a situation. Yeah, absolutely. Father Pacelli was possessed. Yeah, <laughs> I stand by this. Father Pacelli was the devil tempting Mike. <laughs> and what was her name? Amber. Allie. Allie. They're all A's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Allie is actually has God working through her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Allie is the little angel on his shoulder. Father yeah. Pacelli's the devil. No, Father Pacelli, absolutely possessed um but then mike because mike needs father Pacelli's approval and so mike keeps going and so he kind of like pushes father Pacelli, and he goes are you happy with that decision and mike's and, and father Pacelli says i'm sad you're not going to seminary right now hmm. it <laughs> <laughs> um and then he says, you let me down, but not 100%. I want you to be successful. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it, you're like, like this whole scene, this scene took us forever to watch because I kept pausing it to yell at the screen and yell at how mu- yell about how much I hate Father Pacelli. Um, but then uh, they keep walking down, the, they're like going for a walk and they keep walking down the street and Father Pacelli says, before they start walking again he says do you have any other bad news to tell me and mike really got out of a good situation because he he never has to like interact with father Pacelli like this again like now he can just be a normal parishioner that ideally does not live in the father Pacelli's house i hope he goes to a different church just yeah. him, honestly um so then Father Pacelli gets another talking head after this. This is the last time we see Father Pacelli on screen. And he says he also that if Father he Father Pacelli also could have been a teacher or many other things and instead chose this life for the peace and security that this life brings. And then he says other people and he kind of like does this lean in towards the camera. Uh he says other people believe that other things will do that. Other things in the material world will be, bring peace and serenity. That is Father Pacelli's quote. And he is being so incredibly bitchy about... Like, he, he makes this weird implication that Mike is a lesser person for not being a priest. So, here's the thing. He's saying he does it for peace and serenity? Or yes. insecurity? Yeah. That's... The most selfish fucking statement, <laughs> yeah, my right. guy. You're like, I did this, uh, so the Vatican would just fucking yeah pay for my rent, pay and for shit. my rent, and shit. Yeah. <laughs> secure and it's peaceful because uh, Vatican does pay for my rent. Yeah, you know, and he and he's so disingenuous about his like support for Mike because like I'm sorry, the moment he's like, I don't, maybe I don't want to be a priest. You're gonna like bitch in his face about it. Damn, no real friends. No real friends out here. My fa- Father Pacelli, you're a fake-ass friend. <laughs> Fake friend. <laughs> um, but this is... So this happens at the end of episode three. Um, this is the last time we see Mike until uh, his Where Are They Now. Um, it's kind of the most interesting story because, like I said, because of the urgency of it. Um, it is also funny because Mike is the closest one to having a God or the girl type decision. And it's not because he's the only one that has a steady girlfriend at the start of the show. 
Yeah. And then it turns out his decision has nothing to do with the girl. Um, so at the, in the where are they now, they say it's six months, but I know for a fact it's not. Because I looked it up and um, World Youth Day happened in early August. And the where are they now for Mike has him getting ready for his first day as a teacher. Um, so this is like at least a month later. Um, but anyway, uh, Mike is really excited to be a teacher. Um, he's smiling. Uh, he's, he's like doing that like teacher shit where you write your name in cursive on the board. Oh boy. Um, he, he's really excited for this. And I was happiest for this character. Um, Mike seems to have the hardest time making this decision at one point while he's at the retreat center. Um, he looks at the crucifix on the wall and he bursts into tears. Shit. Um, you, yeah, you feel really bad for this person. Um, I think especially because Mike doesn't really have any immediate character flaws other than that he hangs out with Father Pacelli. (laughs) Imagine your worst character flaw being another person that you hang out with. Yeah, pretty much. That's the, uh, that's the vibe we get from, from Mike. He is, he is a, he is a perfect young man. Um, in my, where are they now, Mike is still a teacher in, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, I believe he teaches sixth grade math. Um, and it is mostly all he tweets about is like (laughs) going to teach, is like going to like teacher conferences to both, uh, attend seminars and present on teaching styles. Did he marry Allie? I could not find that. I couldn't find anything. He, I know he is married, and I know he does have children. I don't know if it's Allie. Did you find his Instagram? Um, he does not. I don't. Th- I did not. It doesn't look like he has one. <laughs> um, I did not. I did not find it. I couldn't find. Uh, uh, I couldn't find anything on his Facebook or on his Twitter. Um, so I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, at the time of the shows, where are they now? Mike is still with Allie. Cool. Um, our last of our main four boys is Steve. Um, Steve is 25 years old. He is from Fairfax, Virginia, but currently in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um. Say hometown boy! Yeah. (laughs) Um. Almost hometown. Yeah. Steve is from, uh, he's from Fairfax. He is a UVA grad. Um, is University of Virginia. Hate him already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you'll hate him more. Um, right. Steve has the most interesting background, is what I will call it. Steve's background is that he graduated from UVA with, uh, some, with some kind of degree. Um, but he graduated with a lined up, a job lined up that he's been working um so the, the thing he always talks about is uh he gave up to uh be a missionary he gave up a house uh he gave up a job that pays 80k um at 25 yes but it's even more interesting cuz i checked the uh in- inflation calculator and 80k in 2005 would be about $106,000 now. Okay, daddy definitely gave him this job, right? <laughs> um, it's popu- It's possible. He went to UVA. <laughs> well, he works, uh, what's the, what's you, you later find out he works at Booz Allen. Booz Allen. Hamilton. 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but he also had, like, the way he describes it, a girlfriend he was willing to marry. This all screams big money to me. <laughs> it absolutely does. I'm just you. You never 25. you never learn that much about his background. It um, also screams big money. Yeah, but it is 2006. Yeah, so like it was, this is pre housing bubble. Yeah, it was uh, it was easy to buy a condo, which is yeah. what he has. He keeps saying house. It's a condo. Um, <laughs> I want that to be clear. Hey, let's be real here. Neither of us own houses or condos, so <laughs> so that's fair. Um, I'm not about to dig on his condo here. <laughs> Would love one. So, um, at one point, Steve, the way Steve describes it, um, he gave all of this up. He gave up the house. He gave up the 80k job. He gave up uh, his life um, because of a pamphlet he read called "The Mystery of the Catholic Priesthood," oh. and it made him want to be a priest. Oh my god, you're going through some stuff, aren't you? Here's my theory. <laughs> my first impulse, my first impulse, or my first thought was, is he bipolar? I did not want, yeah. That um, sounds very, like, an impulsive thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but based on the rest of his uh, actions in the show, I don't think he's bipolar, which made me try to think of a second option, which I think, you know how, like... The big, like, online meme of, like, when a girl gets broken up with is that she shaves her head. Yeah. When Mike talks about his previous life, what he says is, the way the way he phrases it every time is he had the house, he had the $80,000 job, and he had a girl he was willing to marry. But when he talks about what he gave up to become a priest, he only says the house and the job. And so I think... This is his shaving his head post-breakup. Interesting. Again, I don't know for sure. This is entirely, like, me, <laughs> like... Well, he said he, a girl he was willing to marry. Yes. Another exactly. So, um, I think you're right. I think you're on to something. Yeah, I, I think I'm on to something. I don't know for sure, though. This is mostly me, like... Thinking about Steve's story at like three o'clock in the morning, being like, "What if he was? What if it's a breakup?" <laughs> you just wake up in a yeah. cold sweat. <laughs> ah! It was a breakup. <gasps> Chloe, Basi Chloe was a breakup. <laughs> Basically, um, if you talk to Chloe, that's how I sound. <laughs> <laughs> you, Chloe's like, "You sound exactly like Jack." <laughs> <laughs> um, but Steve's journey for the first episode is that he has to tell his UVA frat brothers that he wants to be a Catholic priest. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. It's kind of funny to watch, because um, he's really nervous about it. Um, he, goes to a, he goes to a UVA game, um, and like his, while his, he and his frat bros are tailgating, he's like, guys, I have something to tell you. I think that I've decided... That I want to be a Catholic priest, um, and that's pretty much that's kind of it, really. Like his, like his, his friends are supportive, but in that way that they're like, "This is a terrible idea. Please don't do this." But they're very tempered in their excitement. They're like, "Bro, that's great." <laughs> one one guy's like, "You're gay," and he's like, "No, I want to be a priest." And he's like, "Oh, that is Ooh. something he does." <laughs> hint, not gay, but he is like. 
Uh, I'm really nervous to talk to them about it because I t- recently told a family member I wanted to be a priest, and he asked me if I wanted to touch kids. Ooh. <laughs> You're like, my man, that is your family member asking. Your family, your family member should not think that you want to touch kids. Yeah. Did you give any other indicator? Yeah. <laughs> Questions. He my did, guy, Steve. He, he did it while at a playground. He was like, I think I want to be a priest. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Uncle Joey, I think I want to be a priest. And Uncle Joey's like, no! <laughs> Stop looking at my daughter! <laughs> God. Um, but... <laughs> uh. His frat brothers all have talking heads about what they, their opinions on this. Love that. Um, one of them is that... One of them is like, Steve's one of the best businessmen I know. It's a shame to see him get out of that world. And it's like, first of all, he works at Booz Allen Hamilton. This this is not like, he's not like in the business world. Uh, The vibe we get when he talks about his job is he was like a computer analyst. Like he was doing like computer work for them. He wasn't like in the, on the business side. Um, There's another person they talk to. And he and he reveals that like while they were in college, Steve was never that Catholic. Like they were all, they were all aware that he was Catholic, but like none of them knew that he was this Catholic. I really wanted him them to all be like, wait, like you're not even religious at all. Like I, <laughs> like, I wanted this to be like a total like yeah, this is out of the blue. Yeah. They're like they're like, oh my god, bro, Steve, you're Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> no, Steve. Uh, Steve is. Uh, this is also important. Actually, it's kind of not. Steve never brings it up, and it's never brought up. Um, to kind of to the humor of a later scene, uh, Steve is half Filipino. Uh-huh. Um, he has a Filipino mom or Filipino mom and a white dad. Um, this is important information for later. Um, <laughs> Uh, Steve is, so once he does that, he goes back to Lincoln, Nebraska, where he is a missionary, uh, which this, when he goes back to Nebraska to reveal he's a missionary, it was kind of funny for me because he's in the same missionary group that the missionary I used to talk to when I was in college was in, um, which is really funny because I know like a bunch of his, so like I... Uh, I used to talk to that guy a lot, and so I know a bunch of, like, the stuff Steve has to do, like, that, uh, but, like, it makes me feel gross about the fact that I used to talk to a missionary. Um, like... Not to dig into that. But, <laughs> but ju- just... Talk to me about that, JC. Just stuff about, like, um, because watching Steve, like, we'll, we'll talk about it later, like, bilk for money, um, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, the guy I used to talk to got, like, a stipend per weekend to take like poor college kids to like lunch and he could like pay for lunch for them oh i see yeah okay that would also make me feel a little yeah yeah um he gets paid to be your friend yes indoctrinate you yeah by by the catholic church it's really weird it's a really uncomfortable thing yeah that's um to think about now like with hindsight um the predatory vibes just keep on um but so steve talks to his like missionary supervisor um and what you learn from episode two is that steve one of steve's character flaws is that steve sets unrealistic goals mood (laughs) steve sets incredibly unrealistic goals and you see this when he talks to his missionary supervisor because she's like 
how much was your goal for donations per month? And Steve says $1,900 in donations per month. To him? Yeah, to him. Okay. Like, he is convincing people to give him money. $1,900 And the amount he is collecting from different people adds up to $1,900 a month. Okay. And... I mean, he's an incredible businessman. <laughs> yeah, so, apparently he's a great businessman. Yeah. Um, this this episode is where you see that that is a an incorrect statement. Um, oh boy. <laughs> so it, it's kind of it's kind of a sad episode for Steve. Hmm. Um, it's it's kind of a sad episode for Steve, and so we see uh, that his supervisor is like, "How much money did you make this month?" And he goes, "About a third of that." Can you do some math for me? What's a third of that? About uh, a, a little over $600. Thank you very much. Which is an incredible amount of money to collect from donations. Yeah. But his supervisor acts like this is an unacceptable amount of money. What? Um, She's like, she's like, that's, she's like, that's not good enough. We got to get those numbers up. Um, By the way, I looked it up. On the, again, on the inflation calculator, $1,900 uh, at this point would be like $2,700 a month now. Holy shit. That is more than, like, a lot of people make in a month from, yeah. like, their actual jobs. Wait, um, but he made 600 <laughs> Yeah, but he made 600 Right. And, again, his supervisor is like, we gotta get those way up. And then she's like, Here what you can, here's what you can do. Set up an event... It's like a thank you event for people who have already donated. And then while you're there, talk about how you need, you know, kind of like go into how you need more money and uh, try to convince them to donate more than they're already donating. And Steve does this. This is basically his journey for episode two. And this is the second time you notice that Steve sets unrealistic goals because he sets up the event. He sends out the letter. He's like, this is happening in three days. Oh my god. So, he said, he's also, he's mailing the letters out snail mail. Oh he, my god. And he's like, this is, this event is in three days. And then he has the audacity to say to the camera that, uh, he's hoping that this event will be standing room only. That it will be packed to the gills with donors. Has this man ever planned, like, a birthday party? Yeah, right. Like... <laughs> yeah like like steve you have you planned frat parties right (laughs) like a frat event how long does that take to plan yeah there's no way it takes three days i mean like within three days some people still haven't even gotten the invite yeah um or like all the kegs prepared (laughs) or like the costumes for the luau theme (laughs) he um, while he's sending out these letters, he keeps talking about how it feels weird, um, because it feels like he's begging for money. Um, and you're like, yeah, I guess, but like, God, shut up. <laughs> um, but so he- You he wanna sh- work for the Catholic Church? Yeah, yeah. you're just gonna be begging for money, my yeah, guy. Yeah, that's- What do you think priests do? <laughs> you think that your t- entire job is just begging for money? There's a priest in my hometown who's, uh- like, big thing he did for, like, two years was just beg for money so they can build an addition on the church. On, like, the building. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, 
At one point, that priest even, like, was like, hey, sign this pledge card that says you will later give money, so that way we can uh, artificially bump the amount of money we have for this, so the contractor will build it. Um, which, for those of you interested, is called fraud. I was going to say, that doesn't sound legal. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not, but uh, the Catholic Church can get away with anything. Um, that right? <laughs> so, Steve shows up to his event. And he's, like, outside. It's at, like, a, um, it's at, like, an event hall. Um, it, it kind of looks like, um, a place where you would hold, like, a town hall meeting. Um, and so Steve is standing outside the room, and he's, like, he is again reiterating that he thinks this is going to be a standing room only, packed to the gills event. And then he walks in, and there's, like, 12 people there. I'm surprised there's 12. Yeah, right? Um... His parents, <laughs> yeah. his frat brothers. We're like, we gotta, we gotta support our boy, our boy Steve. <laughs> um, hey, buddy, we can't donate, but we brought some beer. Um, and then Steve gets in front of this crowd and he starts to give a speech, and you realize that Steve is a terrible public speaker. He gets in front and he's like, um, I want to thank everybody for giving to you. I mean, giving to me. Uh, and he, like, stumbles over, like, 16 words in the first couple sentences. It's really, it's kind of pathetic to watch. Um. Look, this man really thought this was gonna be standing room. Yeah. You gotta give him some credit here. He's a little disappointed. Yeah, he's a, he's a little thrown. Yeah, he thought he was gonna be staring at more faces and there's less, so he's yeah. like, oh, you know, I can, I don't have to try. <laughs> so then he, um, he, he just, like... You don't actually hear the rest of this event, but afterwards, Steve is deeply disappointed in how this went. Did he make money? Um, he did get, uh, we don't actually know. The one person we talked to did, uh, offer to give more money. Um, but, like, you don't actually find out how many people decided to give more money. Ooh, so not many. Yeah, (laughs) that is the, that is the assumption. Um... And like I said, Steve is deeply disappointed by this in kind of a really funny way. Because, again, you're like, yeah, of course this didn't work out, you dingus. You you planned this three days in advance. It's also unclear what day this falls on. So if you're doing this on, like, a Thursday, like people can't just, like, take time out of the day for this. Did the show... Did the show, like, make him have to do it in three days? Like, was filming only in his town only going to be for that long? It is not clear how much uh, time they had, or, like, what the timeliness on this was. He could have called people, though, instead of mailing invitations yeah, the, like that. Yeah, the written, well, the supervisor told him to write out the invitations, because she was like, it's a more personal touch. Well, I feel like he could have also called, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm planning, I'm trying to plan this event better for Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Steve, you, here are your clear mistakes, alright, you're gonna get be- better next time. Next time we're gonna go whole 20k. Um, in episode 3, Steve's missionary supervisor kind of starts grilling him. She's like, do you actually think you could be a priest? And Steve is wow, like... Wow, shots fired. Yeah, right? With, the, with this money? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, $600 you think is good enough for priesthood? This is bitch money this is bit only bitches make 600 
This is an all I've seen altar boys make more than this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and Steve kind of waffles about this. He kind of like ums and uhs his way through being like yes. Then she follows this up. It's kind of the same with Father Jeff. This is apropos of nothing. She's like, "Hey, there's an opening for like a missionary. It's like some some missionary work, but it's in Guatemala." Oh, you want to be a priest? Prove it. <laughs> yeah, go go to fucking Guatemala, you little pussy. Um, but so Steve kind of like ums and uhs, and she's like, and she's yeah, kind of doing the like, I mean, priest go to Guatemala type mm-hmm. shit. Um. And she, uh, Steve is like, I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone, so yeah, I'll go to Guatemala. Um, and then it, like, the next time you see Steve, he's reading an article, uh, it's, it's actually the U.S. State, uh, Advisory on Guatemala, and it's an extremely funny thing to watch Steve read, because the first thing about this article is it basically describes any given country, um, but it's like, thieves in Guatemala are incredibly opportunistic. And you're like, yeah, that's like a mainstay of thieves. <laughs> thieves in the United States are incredibly opportunistic. Yeah. Um, excuse me, thieves in the United States, uh, wait for the worst possible moment. <laughs> I'm trying to rob your house while you're cleaning your gun. <laughs> Um, but it's a bunch of bullshit like this. It's like, um, it, it, it's like, ah, oh, like, criminals in Guatemala are incredibly predatory and prey on tourists. And you're like, yeah, that's everywhere. Like, yeah. like been to France? Yeah, like, when my family went to Spain to visit my older sister, uh, like, we read the same shit about Spain. And so my, which made my father wear one of those, like, fanny packs that goes inside your pants. Yeah. I mean, um, I, like... People steal shit everywhere. If yeah. you're in a city... Yeah. Thievery is going to happen. Thievery's gonna happen. Um, but then Steve does what might be the funniest way to prepare for Guatemala, which is he goes to a local, like, outdoors store and is like, I'm going to Guatemala in three days. What do I need? And the guy, and the cashier is like, um... And you get the vibe that what he wants to say is, Man, I work at fucking REI in Lincoln, Nebraska. Like, shut up, man. I don't know. <laughs> um, but he gets Steve set up with, like, uh, water. Like, an on-the-fly water purifier. Yeah. And shit like that. It's basically what you would set anybody up to go on, like, any given trip. Um, or, I guess, any given hike. I think he's really planning to that Steve will just hike in Guatemala. Right. Uh, he then tells his mom, he, like, calls his mom to tell her that he's going to Guatemala, and his mom is like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, she's, like, super unenthusiastic about it. She's kind of, like, you kind of get the vibe that what she wants to ask is, why? <laughs> um, but she's like, be safe, like, mom shit. Um, I like the idea that his mom is, like, super not Catholic anymore. <laughs> She's just like, oh, for them? Okay. Oh, wow. wow. Good, good for them. Right. I was kind of hoping she would, like, guilt him a little bit. She'd be like, oh, I see. When the Catholics ask, you'll go all the way to Guatemala. <laughs> but when I ask you to run down to the store to pick something up, you hem and haw. <laughs> 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 um, Steve packs. He gets to the airport. And then he has a talking head while he's at the airport where he's like, I've been thinking about it, and I think the best way anybody could help Guatemalans 
is if you get really good at business and then you write them a check. <laughs> get out! That is the... That's incredible. It's it's like the dumbest thing he could possibly say. It's like, wow, Steve. Uh, wow. You think cutting them a check? Like, Steve is not at all thinking <laughs> about, like, the material conditions of Guatemalans. I'm going to sign this check out to Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> um, Who do I send my first million to? Guatemala. You also learned that Steve does not know Spanish. Okay. Do, not a, Like, doesn't know it at all. Um, <laughs> he gets to Guatemala City, and he leaves the airport, and he's walking around, like, this part of the city, and it's really funny, because the part of the city he in, he's in doesn't even, like, look that bad, um, but he sees, like, a kid playing with, like, a dirty soccer ball, and he sees, like, a stray dog, and he's like, I don't, he, I think he calls the city dirty. He's like, he's like, this is a dirty place or something like that. Um, all right, bro. <laughs> all right. Um, but he gets on a shuttle and it takes him out to a, uh, retreat center. Um, I looked it up. It turns out the shuttle took him a really long way. It took him into like the central highlands of Guatemala from like Guatemala city. Um, so it took him way out there. <laughs> and he shows up there, and he talks to the local priest, and the local priest introduces himself as Jorge. And Steve is like, me llamo Esteban. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and then he's like, uh... And then he, like, tries to say, like, I'm here to be a priest in Spanish. And the priest cuts him off to be like, to be like, hi, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> like, it turns out the priest just speaks perfect English and he didn't have to do this at all. Um, which is extremely funny. He does call the priest Father George for the rest of the time he's there. Um, which, on the one hand, it turns out the priest's name is actually George, but he did introduce himself as Father Jorge, and every other Guatemalan person calls him Jorge, mm. um, except for Steve, who calls him Father George, which is just a funny little detail to me. Jorge's like, no, you get to call me George. Yeah, call me George. Call me George. You haven't earned Jorge. Um, but so he, he goes into the living quarters, and Steve immediately is like, this sucks. <laughs> He's like, it smells really bad in here, and, uh, like, uh, there's, like, water dripping from the ceiling, and, uh, the first mattress I, the first mattress I laid down on was wet, um, and, like, I'm sure all of that does suck, but, like, shut up! <laughs> you are, you are living in better, can, it like, you, you later, he later goes out to some villages, and you immediately realize that Steve is living in better conditions at this retreat center than these villagers are. So, shut up, Steve. UVA, Prissy has been. Yeah. <laughs> um. Sorry for all your UVA listeners. <laughs> but they know. They um. Know. So then, Steve goes out to the villages with Father Jorge. And Steve also takes to Father Jorge like a father figure. He's like, it's really cool that uh, all the villagers in this area come to Father Jorge. And they like come to him with advice. They're like, what should we plant here? And he just knows it. 
and uh, they they come to him for advice about things, and he just knows what to do. Uh, and, and all the villagers love Father Jorge, and I'm with Father Jorge. So by extension, all the villagers love me. Um, it's really, he doesn't say all the villagers love me, but that's the vibe you're getting. Okay, Steve. Um, <laughs> might, you might have a power thing. He does, he does refer to himself as a Father Jorge groupie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Father Jorge simp. <laughs> um, Steve also brings up that he is very nervous to go to the village because <laughs> this is a quote. Uh, I have it written down here. Uh, he says that if a white person came into one of the villages and got close to a child, then the villagers would light them on fire because white people used to come in and take children. So Steve is very nervous about this. I need to reiterate here. Steve is not white. <laughs> is he white passing? No! <laughs> to be honest, if uh, if you never saw his father, I would never guess that Steve is half Filipino. Assume he is. You, you, I, you would just Filipino. assume he is a Filipino person. Okay. You would like by looking at him, you cannot tell that his father is white. Okay. So it is extremely funny that he's like they hate white people <laughs> like me. <laughs> You're like no, Steve. No, they're gonna be fine with you there. You're not a white person. <laughs> also. I don't know, maybe this is just me, but if someone was like, don't go near the kids, they don't like it, I would just be like, alright, I won't go near no kids. Like, I know how to stay away from children. Right. Yeah, I would just... I would just not. <laughs> I like that Steve assumes that this will be such an undertaking that he very may well get lit on fire today. <laughs> just the magnetism of these children. Uh, But so then... Steve in Guatemala is really kind of shitty. He gets slightly better, but not a lot. Um, he, like, goes to the village, and he finds out that they don't have, like, good drinking water, and their houses aren't, like, particularly ornate, and they don't have a lot. Um, and instead of being, like, instead of being, like, wow, this is, like, really hard to see and this is like a, this is heartbreaking and this is like instead of having like an empathetic human emotion Steve, Steve is like this is how you know that when they come to church wearing a Sunday best it really is their best damn Steve yeah he really just said ew pores yeah basically he's like disgusted by poor people um so then, then uh, also, I do want to add, it's not really relevant to anything, but it's really funny. For this whole day, Steve's shirt is inside out, and nobody says anything to him. Uh... Like, I watched this, into, I watched this whole uh, episode uh, where his tag is sticking straight out, and nobody says anything. Oh, the producers don't like Steve either. The producers don't like Steve, the Guatemalan villagers don't like Steve, Father Jorge doesn't like Steve, apparently. Nobody says anything. They don't like him, but they don't hate him because they didn't make him carry a cross. Yeah, they didn't miles. make him carry a cross. <laughs> um, the next day, Steve goes back to the villages. Um, this time, I guess he is not nervous. Uh, 
He should be, though. Because, <laughs> he should be. Because Steve reveals that he is going to the villages to help them do manual labor. Oh. Now, as someone who has done some manual labor, mm-hmm. um, clearing brush, um, uh, I've worked on, like, my parents' land before. Fucking brag about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so strong. I would be nervous to do manual labor in, like, a very rural Guatemalan village. Because I would be worried about holding them up. I'm like, I'm gonna take too long to do things. Like, you guys are definitely gonna be able to do all this stuff faster than me. Right, they I don't have a system. Hold, yeah, I don't yeah. want to hold you guys up. Steve is not nervous about this, mm-hmm. but also mentions that he has never done manual labor before, so I have no idea how this is not, like, frightening to him. I think it's because he is a young man uh-huh who has the confidence of a young man of a young man mm-hmm. he's like ah manual labor Pfft, yeah i got this what you want me to pick up a hammer <laughs> sure <laughs> ah there's a rock i can lift that oh it's a little heavy <laughs> <laughs> um but so steve gets there and He's like trying to. He's like trying to hoe. He's trying to like till their fields. Nice. Oh no! <laughs> um, yeah, he, cool. He, he gets there and he starts throwing it back. Yeah. All, the, all the villagers are mad excited about it. Um, he does hold up the line. <laughs> but so he uh, he gets there and he starts like trying to till the, one of their fields, and a Guatemalan a Guatemalan child is laughing at him um, for how bad at this he's doing. <laughs> To the point where, like, a grown-up comes over and takes the hoe away from him and starts doing it himself significantly faster. I like that they showed just how much better it could be. Yeah, they're like, like... That is a... That's... I love that. That's petty as hell. Um, You'd, you'd think he would ask someone to, like, show him first. Yeah, or, or, or something like that. Yeah, either that was for the bit, or <laughs> he really just didn't ask. Which um, is also funny. Steve, again, talks about how little the villagers have. Um, Except Steve only knows how to talk about how little the villagers have in one way, which is to contrast it with how much he has given up. Um, Cool. So the way he phrases this is he says they don't have much. They don't know. This is how he says it. They don't know. That I gave up my condo. That I gave up a 50-inch plasma TV and all the PlayStation. That is a quote. I don't know why he says all the PlayStation. All but of they, it. They sure left it in. Well, I, you know, I actually kept a little bit to the side. Yeah. Like, almost all the PlayStation. Yeah, most of the PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> um, put, a little, put a little PS2 in my pocket. Steve does feel like human empathetic emotions about the villagers but not in a way that makes you feel good. <laughs> hmm. Um, cool. <laughs> he, he keeps talking about how, like, if someone could come into these villages and cut a check, then, uh, like, it would fix everything. One thing Steve at no point considers, because he doesn't do any research about Guatemala, which I did, the villages he's going to are going to be predominantly Mayan. Mm-hmm. Guatemala, from like the 50s until the, I believe it's the late 90s, 
yeah. did what's called the Silent Holocaust against the Mayan peoples of central Guatemala. Yep. <laughs> and you you went to you went to Guatemala, right? I did, yes. This was actually a huge part of my major. I did a yeah, I wrote a lot of papers on Oh, did you really? Yeah. Oh, good. Then yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're I, even more qualified to talk about uh, this. Yeah, I went to Guatemala, um, and I stayed in a Kekchi village. Uh-huh. and uh, Probably not too different from the one Steve is yeah, bitching about. <laughs> exactly. Um, the one Steve is bitching about. No, and like, their government was completely fucked yeah. for a long time due to American imperialism. Yes, like, exactly. They had a, like, there was a lot of... They wouldn't be where they are today, mm-hmm. you know. Without, imper- without, without American yeah. imperialism. So, like, yeah. No. And, and so Steve never stops to consider that maybe the reason these people are so destitute and do not have all the PlayStation is because <laughs> up until, like, ten years prior to the events of this show, they were the victims of genocide! Yeah! They were genocided, Steve! <laughs> Well, and, like, with, like, not, like, yes, there was, like, the Civil War and the imperialism, but there were, like, you know, there was an entire culture of, like, you know, the the Ketchy people have, like, had traditions that they've had and, like, upheld and, like, taught for generations, Mm -hmm. and a lot of that was disrupted with the Civil War, you know? So, they, like, there was a really good system, you know, and now it's, like... It's less, yeah. you know, because there are less people. Yeah, and it's, been, it's been fucked up. It's been fucked up. So yeah, like, it turns out genocide will do that. Genocide doesn't do that. <laughs> um, um, yeah, no. And so Steve never talks about this. Uh, he doesn't know, I don't think. Um, but, like, it kind of... It really interesting, when I read about this, it really interestingly shows the... F- where the weaknesses and failings of missionary trips are um, is the fact that they're not reading about the culture. They're not reading about why someone would be destitute in a society. They're going there and they're like, God damn, it's poor out here. All right, I'm going to go back to America. And then they leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so Steve, uh, Steve does. He, he does leave. Um, it turns out, they describe this as a mission trip. Um, Steve's there for, like, a week, and then he leaves. Um, so if it is a mission trip, it is legitimately the worst mission trip I've ever seen. Um, but he's, uh, walking, and a lot of the Guatemalans who are, like, escorting him to the shuttle back to Guatemala City are, um, asking him, like, um, you know, like, oh, like, do you have to leave? And he's like, see... Um, and they're like, uh, this is all in Spanish, um, which it will later be, uh, confirmed that Steve definitely does not know. Um, but he's like, see, uh, I go to Guatemala city, um, or I go back home is what he says. Um, and they're asking him a bunch of questions and he's trying to answer them. And one of them asks, uh, will you come back? And Steve says, see? And they get really excited about this. They're like, you're coming back! And Steve is like, huh? Oh, no. <laughs> and Steve Steve doesn't know what he said see to, which is very funny. Oh, jeez, Steve. And so he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know when I'll be back. 
Um, and then one of them, one of the kids, one of the Guatemalan children asks, uh, can I come to the U.S.? And Steve has, like, a weird, <laughs> a weird, like, thought about this to the camera where he's like, I don't know if they can come to the United States. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> um, but so he, in this, in this part where he's like, I don't know if they can, uh, he starts crying. Um, because he's thinking about the people he's leaving and that they gave so much for having so little without knowing how much he has. (laughs) (laughs) So he starts crying and you're like, oh my God, is this a human moment for Steve? And Steve's like, no, (laughs) it's not. It's not a human moment for Steve. (laughs) So close. Um, and then Steve does admit though, in an kind of an interesting way. That he's like, Steve admits that he doesn't know if he's ever going to go back to Guatemala because he's afraid to. And on the one hand, kind of shitty thing to say. On the other hand, I guess I appreciate the honesty. What is he afraid of? (laughs) It's kind of unclear. Third world countries? I don't know. That they'll light him on fire for being really white. That poor is contagious. Poor... (laughs) I've heard is contagious. So. <laughs> uh, he doesn't want to ever see another dirty soccer ball. <laughs> or like a stray dog. <laughs> He's like, oh, in the United States, all the soccer balls are clean. Yeah, clean and white. <laughs> um, like me. <laughs> um, He's like, oh my god, I can go back to the United States where I never have to hoe again. <laughs> um, But so, in the last episode, Steve... Uh, Goes to his um, parish church in Fairfax. But so he goes to his parish church and he gets in front of the parish to talk. And he talks about his recent experience as a missionary in Nebraska and as a missionary in Guatemala. And announces in front of God and everybody that he is applying for the seminary. Wow. Yeah. Um, Yo. I did not, ex- out of all these people, actually. Yeah, he's kind of the worst one. I really wouldn't have expected Steve to actually go for God. Me neither. It wasn't until he said he was going to present it in front of his church. And I was like, can you imagine you get in front of your church and you decide you're not going to be a priest? That would yeah. be so funny. <laughs> I just wanted to let you guys know. I refuse to be a priest. Uh, I'm going back to my job at Booz Allen Hamilton and getting that sweet 80K and going back to my condo. There is one other thing about the condo that is, like, revealed here at the end. Like, for the first time on the title card in the last episode, they don't phrase it, he gave it up. They say he rented it out. So he didn't really give it up. He's just getting passive income from it. Are you allowed to own property as a priest? I don't think so. Interesting. I think as a priest you would have to sell it. So, <laughs> yeah, Steve. So what's up? What's up, Steve? Um, but so then on the where are they now? Uh, Steve's at the seminary. Uh, it's really funny because everyone else is dressed in like um like black garb, and Steve is standing out because he's wearing a red polo and khakis, looking like he's a, he needs to start start his shift at Target. <laughs> um, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm six months into seminary, and it's going great." 
Um, don't worry they about me. me. They make me wear this. Yeah, they make me wear this red polo and these khakis. <laughs> They're scarlet lettering me. <laughs> um, for my where is he now? Uh, Steve has uh, he works product management VP as a product management v- vice president at a health trust performance group in Nashville. Yeah. That sounds more right. That sounds right. I kind of want to, like, contact him on LinkedIn and be like, hey, just saw a god or the girl. Did you ever cut a check to those Guatemalans? Yo, but, like, what if you got him to do an episode with you on your podcast? <laughs> just talk about, like, what were you afraid of with Guatemalans? Well, you could also talk to him about, what if you did a Catholic in Recovery podcast? <laughs> What if we did a Catholic in yeah, recovery Steve, podcast? Steve, if you're listening, come on the show. Come on, Steve. I have a lot of questions for Get you. Get on here. I'm no. sorry we made fun of you. Steve, number one, did your girlfriend break up with you? Because that's the vibe I'm getting. You're, it's either that or you're bipolar. Nothing else makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve is also... Uh, because I found him because I found him on LinkedIn, or I should say Chloe found him on LinkedIn. Thanks, Chloe. Um... <laughs> He has A&E cast member listed on his LinkedIn, and he has, like, an extremely business way of describing his performance, or his, like, role on there. You need to read it out loud. A&E TV documentary drama series created a positive, impactful international public relations opportunity for the nonprofit by communicating personal faith and life values in front of TV cameras under very intense, high-pressure situations to millions of viewers. Included guest spots on the Today Show, The View, and CNN Showbiz, as well as appearances on numerous radio shows and other venues. Wow, that is the most boring way to say you were on god or girl yeah right say you did like some freak shit or something god damn um but that is our main four boys these are on the main uh this is on the main four however i purchased the box set of this show (laughs) 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 so i got that sweet bonus content and of the bonus content was a secret fifth boy. I love a secret fifth boy. So here we have Tom, different from Joe, different from Joe's brother, Tom. Damn it! I was like, they're gonna try to convince Joe's brother to be a priest. <laughs> they gave up on Joe. Yeah, now his parents are pressuring him. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tom is twenty three years old, and he lives in Boulder. But he is, uh, I believe, also one of eight children from Chicago. Um, yep, a lot of kids. A lot of kids. Um, the, Tom is kind of hard to describe. Um, I think the reason that he's not on the main show is because the best way I can think of to describe Tom is that he is the show's biggest freak. Um, he's the biggest fucking weirdo. Yes. Um, we are like we don't want to make Catholics look bad. <laughs> we first see Tom as he is preparing for the first date he's had in like two years. Um, which my notes say uh, asterisk asterisk no bitches meme. <laughs> <laughs> no bitches because Tom, in fact, does not get bitches. Same here, Tom. 
this girl shows up, and she is mad young. How? You said he was 23? He's 23. Uh-oh. Um, That's already pretty young. He, she shows up, she looks very young. I am going to be kind and say I assume she is 18 or 19. Okay. Uh, which, to be honest, based on how young her face looks, maybe she just has a young face. But she looks very young. How, how old does she look? She looks to me 16. <laughs> 16 and a half 16? Or <laughs> 16, or like 15, 16? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know past that. Um, That's but I do fair. know she looks very young. Cool. Um, cool. Like I said, I'm going to be kind and assume that this show would not put her on if she were under the age of 18. Yeah. I also I also assume she's probably 18 and has kind of a young face because you have you like you need parental consent to have a minor on television. So I assume they didn't go to this girl, this like single dates parents and be like, "Hey, can she be on our show?" Cuz she's dating the biggest weirdo. Because <laughs> she's dating the biggest weirdo. Okay. Um but so we're going to we're going to be kind and say she is 18. Great. Um Getting ready for the date, Tom says, uh, Tom says, getting ready for the date, he says that uh, he makes sacrifices when he sees tempting, scantily clad women on the side of the street, and so it makes him go home and take a cold shower. Ooh, okay, Tom. Yeah, so this is the kind of freak we're dealing with. Okay, Tom. Like, I, I love the idea that my man is, like, out on the town. He's, like, downtown doing a little shopping for the Christmas time. And he sees, like, a woman with, like, her knees out. And he's like, oh, god damn. <laughs> I gotta go home. I like that this man, who literally gets horny for the knees, yeah, is like, you know what? I can be a priest. Yeah, right? He, like, that makes no sense to me. He is extremely horny in these in this like first nine minutes i'm incredibly horny and i'm incredibly devoted to god (laughs) (laughs) um my notes on this say my man just be normal he sees a little titty on the street and loses his mind (laughs) hey fellas is it gay to be horny for god (laughs) (laughs) um he does also describe himself as a virgin but not as a saint, which humbles him in the eyes of the Lord. Which is... The Lord has watched him nut. Yeah, the the word... My guess is what he means by this, because he says he's not a virgin. I assume... Oh, he he, he said he is a virgin. He is is a virgin. Okay. So I just assume that, like, when he says he's not a saint, I assume he means he's beaten his shmeat. Yeah. He's he's cranking his shaft. But, like, a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if he's getting so horny with bitches on the side of the street that he's got to run home, my man is absolutely running home to jack off. Well, and if he's, I think he's jacking off so much, God is impressed at that yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, it, go, it goes from being a sin back around to yeah. being like a virtue. God's like, holy shit, God man. Damn. <laughs> wonderful creatures I have made. <laughs> um, but so his, uh, his young date is named Hillary. Um... And Tom, like, invites her in, um, 
and I would describe Tom's fit as swagless. <laughs> <laughs> no bitches, swagless. Yeah, my man has no swag. Um, <laughs> uh, he he's wearing like. A really ugly button-up, like vertically striped uh, shirt, and very loose slacks. Like a Tommy Bahama, like two and a half men type bowler shirt. No, like oh. a lot, like long sleeves. Oh, okay. And then very loose slacks. Which, to be fair, loose pants was like generally the style of the two thousands. It looks really bad though. Mm. Um. I think it's I think it's less uh, the, the fit and more just Tom has no swag. Um, so they go on this date. It's extremely awkward to watch. Um, the first thing I noticed is that um, Hillary is not drinking alcohol, um, which indicates to me that she is under the age of twenty one because Tom is drinking wine. So they ordered wine for the table, and Tom is the only one drinking. Hmm. Um, but every, they, they don't show all of the conversation, obviously. Um, they're like, a lot of it is kind of like montage with like music over it. Like the part where they ask her what she, if she's going to go like pick out her homecoming dress yeah. <laughs> and like where she's going to go to college. Yeah. She's finished her SAT. Yeah. He's like, how was your AP test? <laughs> how was AP world history, hon? God. Um. But we do get a moment of date just to get the vibe. Mm. And the piece of conversation we get is Tom looks over the table at her plate and goes, Asparagus, huh? And Hillary is like, yeah, I like asparagus. (laughs) Okay, hold on. Do they, this is just like a first date. This is just a first date. Oh, that's, it's incredible. Incredible. It's hideous. It is awful to watch. It's so uncomfortable. Also, all of the montage scenes is just Tom talking. You never see Hillary speak. Interesting. Um, so then uh we get the card coming up again, and they didn't need to. If they had just like never shown Hillary again, I would have known this information, but they do not go out again. What? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. You're so I'm watching it. and I'm like, yeah. I figured he just said asparagus, huh? You know, you don't say asparagus, huh, in a date conversation and get a second date. Asparagus. <laughs> that is conversation that says she is trying to get through this dinner so she can officially leave. <laughs> yeah, I like asparagus. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't plan on pissing on your face tonight. <laughs> um. So Hillary, if you're out there, my advice to you is first dates, coffee from now on. Way easier to leave if it sucks. Hillary, first dates, don't go with Catholics. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's the other part. Uh, Don't go out with Catholics. Just don't go out with Catholics, Hillary. (laughs) You can do so much better than Steve. What's been your weirdest first date? Oh, weirdest first date. Yeah, what's like the most awkward first date you've had? Um, What's your asparagus, huh? I went on a date with a guy in college who, <laughs> I okay, I, I hope I'm not making this up and it, or it wasn't some fever dream, but okay. uh, he would walk, like, on the edge of the street, you know, like, near the curb, right? Yeah. And he'd, like, lift up his legs a little bit and go, parkour! <laughs> but he did it, like... 
throughout the entire day. Oh, God. And it was just like, oh, God, what did I do? This is like when I was a freshman and, like, you know, I was just like, well, guy asked me out, why not? You know, it's free coffee. Give you the ick. Yeah. You're you're like, it turns out parkour does it. I don't, uh, I can't see this man again. Yeah, no. I can't. You're like, it turns out watching a man uh, do a little jump and say parkour makes me never want to see him naked. <laughs> I, no, I, I didn't fuck him. Okay. Good for you. King shit. Well, that's not saying much. <laughs> I, the fact that I had to question it says a lot about me freshman year. <laughs> um, no, yeah, that was interesting he had mad fedora vibes but he didn't wear fedora and those are tricky that is weird sometimes you don't pick up on it like unless they were the fedora at that time yeah um should have known though the next thing tom does is is this okay the next thing he does is you see him at his older sister's house and he is babysitting her i believe it's three children um there's like a the oldest one's like a girl uh then there's a middle boy and then one of them's like a baby um and they're all like under the age of like seven they're all like pretty young and a a woman shows up and tom says this is naughty talking head he says this in front of her oh no and today playing the role of mother my friend maureen (laughs) Ew. Yeah. He, <laughs> um, so then he and uh, Mother Maureen take, take the kids Stop. out to, like, a playground. Um, and, like, they, uh, they like, hang out with the kids. Tom talks for some ungodly reason about how, like, being a priest, like, wanting to be a priest means he has to be good with kids. Um, and at no point does he understand, like the unfortunate irony of saying this at a playground and while he is hanging out with kids. Um, <laughs> Oof, Tom. Big woof. Um, Have we gotten anything on Tom's religion feelings yet? Like, uh, he He's he's very Catholic. He does want to be a priest. He does. Yes. Like, extremely wants to be a priest. But he also knows how horny he is. Yes. Okay, so this really is... Goddard the girl. Goddard the girl. Yeah, yeah, except Goddard, do you want to get fucked? Yeah. Um, and so he, um, <laughs> he realizes while they're at this playground that they are running late for the middle son's violin practice. And so he, like, packs everybody up in the car, and then he whips around to, like, a school building type place. It's kind of hard to tell exactly where they're supposed to be. Um, and so he... <laughs> it's so fun. He's, like, running around the inside of this building, and he keeps repeating what room it's in. He's like, 111, 111, 111. Then he's, like, running... He's running down this hallway. He's like, okay, 107, 109. And then it cuts, and then the next thing you see him, he's like, 115, 117. <laughs> <laughs> he's in, like, a different hallway. You're okay. like... You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I assume you passed it. Okay, but the editor. Good yeah. job, my guy. Yeah, I, I love that the editor is like, okay, we can't show him walking past 111. <laughs> That's embarrassing. But so they show up, they are 40 minutes late 
to this violin practice. That's an entire violin. As someone who used to play violin, that's an entire violin. Yeah, I assume that's like, I assume they're only like an hour long. Yeah, if you're, yeah. Yeah, like if that. Yeah, like if presumably that. they're like 45 minutes yeah, to an hour. 45 minutes to an hour and you're not getting your money back. So he shows up. He's like, can you still work with him? The teacher, or like the instructor or whatever, is like, gracefully, yes, what? I'll keep working with him. Um, and so you see the kid practicing, and the kid refuses to put the violin up to his chin. Mm-hmm. He keeps wanting to play it, like holding it straight down. Like a cello. Yeah. Um, that's a good way. Thank you, because I was doing the hand motion. Yeah, he wants to play it like a cello, and the instructor keeps being like, being like no, you have to... Play, you have to put it under your chin and play it like a violin. And the kid kind of, like, does, like, a little, like, arm movement. He Like, like he might throw a tantrum. And the instructor grabs the violin and bow away from this child and puts it away. And I audibly gasped because I was like, oh, my God. If I was, like, being obstinate at, like, a violin practice and the instructor was like, okay, no more... Uh, and snatched it and like took it away from me and was like, "All right, you're done. Like you can't practice anymore today." My mom would be furious with me. With with you? Yeah, with me. My mom would. My mom would be so pissed off. She would be like, "Oh my god, why did you not just put it under your chin? Like I paid for this." Because <laughs> you you know, there's no way the sister isn't gonna be like, "Hey, I paid for a violin lesson, and I just heard from his instructor that you were 40 minutes late, and then she couldn't even do like a full." practice anyway what the fuck is going on true tom uh, the child then runs away and tom has to like what? track him down so children are a nightmare anyway so he he like walks him outside and tom's like hey man you gotta like you, you gotta work with people you gotta you gotta uh do violin stuff like he's gonna like reason with this four-year-old yeah, and so they mean. get outside and the kid runs away just immediately like bolts um and Maureen is like, should we go get him? And Tom says, no, he just needs to blow off steam. And then a second later, Tom is like, uh, Maureen's like, hey, where is he? And Tom's like, I don't know. <laughs> Tom! <laughs> so Tom is running around trying to find this child. He does eventually find him. He basically just, like, ran around two corners um, at this at this school building. Um, he just needs to blow off steam away from me. Somewhere I can't see him unsupervised. Yeah. <laughs> He is held. Oh, for shit. <laughs> um, then, after all of this, and they get back home, Tom looks directly into the camera and says, parenting is exhausting. <laughs> okay, Tom. Tom, you a babysitter for like two hours. All right. Calm down. Uh, then Tom is at like an event where he's talking to like some youths, um, and he is, com- he is like talking... Like, he's terrible at presenting this information. Enough so that, like, his priest, who is his mentor, is like, hey, I think you should go to this therapist. Because you're really bad at public speaking. Oh my god. Um, I know you want to be a priest, buddy, but maybe don't talk. (laughs) So, Tom goes to this therapist. And therapist is a strong term, because she's basically like a life coach. Uh Um... He he goes to this, uh, he goes to this therapist, and she's like, "It sounds like you have a fear of public speaking. How would you like to take a public speaking course?" And Tom says, "Maybe." 
And then the therapist has a talking head and she's like, he's never going to go to this course. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, so then he's like, yeah, you know what? I think I, I think I will go. Um, and then the next week he calls the therapist to be like, hey, I can't go. <laughs> Incredible. And she's like, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um. But so he shows up to her house. He shows up to the life coach's house to be like, hey, I'm sorry I can't go to this. It turns out I have this other thing at the same time you said the public speaking course was. And uh, so I can't do it. Um, and she's like, mm-hmm. Um, she's like, why didn't you bring this up the other day? And he's like, because I forgot. And she's like, I'm sure you did. <laughs> Call him out. So then he like leaves. And the this therapist is like, Tom doesn't know how to like commit to something so then she shows up to his house and this is where i realized that this woman is not a licensed therapist because you were absolutely not allowed to do that yeah she shows up to his house and she's like get in the car get in this car right now and tom's like where are we going and she goes you're not allowed to know because if you knew you would say no um and so tom is like okay <laughs> So he gets in the car and she pulls up. She pulls up to a skydiving range. Okay. And she's like, "You're gonna go skydiving." And Tom reveals that he his family has some kind of like blood fear of skydiving. He a blood fear. Yeah, he's <laughs> the like, deepest fear. Yeah, it turns he has like his entire family is afraid of skydiving. His entire family. Yeah, he like gets out and he's like, "Okay, I'll do it, but don't tell my dad." Uh, or he he says, "I promised my father I would never skydive." Did like a family member die in a they, freak skydiving accident? They never say. It Are is they cursed? Insane. He he's like don't he's like don't tell my father. I promised my father I would never skydive, but I guess I'll do it for these uh, cameras and this life coach. <laughs> he's like I saw some I saw some uh, top of cleavage the other day, so I guess I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Cold shower wasn't enough. <laughs> um. So he he gets on. This is really funny. His skydiving instructor is kind of like an older gentleman who's significantly shorter than Tom. And the gentleman keeps trying to hold Tom's hand. And Tom keeps having to shake his hand away. <laughs> it, you can't really tell if the old man is doing it. So, like, uh, to, like, through, like, the shuffle of, like, getting on the plane, they, like, don't get separated. Or if he's just doing it because he wants to hold hands. But it's really funny. <laughs> um... And so he goes skydiving. He he gets on the ground. He's like, wow, that was crazy. Um, he's like, I never thought I would ever do that in a million years. And then he announces that he's ready to announce his decision on whether or not he wants to be a priest. Mm. And he goes to his family's house. And he talks about his journey. He's like, I recently went skydiving. And Tom's father is immediately upset by this. In real life. In real life. Yes. He's like, what do you mean you went skydiving? Like, he gets mad about it. Um, <laughs> and then, How dare you? And then Tom reveals that he's decided to go to seminary. Uh -huh. uh, which is insane, because if you, as, as you've mentioned, he's the horniest man in the world. Yes, he is. <laughs> and Tom's father is 
unfazed by this information. He instead continues to say, as long as you never go skydiving again. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) I was not kidding when I say Tom's family has a blood fear of skydiving. When Tom says he goes skydiving, his whole family, like, reacts. Oh my god! Everybody, everybody reacts to this information. It's insane. I, I need to know what happened. Yeah, I don't know. It's really funny. Where's the secret skydiving, like, reveal cut? (laughs) Yeah, where's the skydiving cut? (laughs) I want the director's cut of this, um, God of the Girl. Yeah, of just Tom's story. Yeah, just Tom's story. Tom's story. Um, Tom does not get a Where Are They Now? (gasps) Um, he does for me, though. Hooray. Um, Tom is currently an architect in South Bend, Indiana. Alright. Yeah. Huh. He married? Uh... I believe so. I couldn't find any information on it. Tough luck. Parenting's hard. <laughs> Parenting <laughs> is hard. Um, so I kind of want to end here by talking about the culture of Catholicism and, like, how that culture is indicated, you know, at, you know, at this point in 2005 and or versus Catholic culture now. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I mean, like, 2005 was, like, deeply, like, uh, Catholics really hate abortion. (laughs) Yes. That's, like, the big thing. That's why Dan goes to an abortion clinic. Um, did you, did your church do anything for abortion clinics? Did your church do any, like, March for Life stuff? Not really. Um, the worst it really got was, like, at... Like, you know when they uh, do the, like, Lord, hear our prayer? Yeah. And, like, pray for certain things? Uh, they would mention, like, uh, unborn souls or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Like, that was pretty much his... Yeah, they did that at my church, too. ...they got. Um, but, no, like, my church wasn't super political, mm-hmm. um, which is what I appreciated about it. And, gotcha. um, or at least the Italian mass wasn't uh (laughs) political there we stopped going to the italian mass um at one point and we ended up going to the english one and then that like that one was slightly more political but like still it wasn't like we didn't have um like big events Mm -hmm. like to like go and like yeah Outside abortion clinics. Our events were like, hey, you want to make wine? (laughs) Um, So I think my experience um, with the Catholic Church and the community of, like, just the Italian nonies just being like, hey, learn to make wine (laughs) Um, Um, was different. My church didn't, like, plan any stuff for March for Life, Mm -hmm. um, but they did encourage people to go to the March for Life parades in D.C. Um, Like, that was the most we got. So, uh, 2005-2006 Catholic culture is really interesting. Um, And it was really funny for me to watch this show and kind of like reminisce on it. Yeah. Um, because the, the vibe of, I mean like to really 2005 to like when I, I mean around when I stopped being Catholic, uh, about 10 years later, 
Cath- every Catholic I knew was either an older person, not necessarily old, but just like an older person, or they were young and like the biggest weirdo you knew. Yeah. <laughs> Me meeting you in college. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The biggest weirdo, yeah, weirdo you knew. Pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually met because of Catholicism. We did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I was eating hella cinnamon rolls for Fat Tuesday. Catholicism and lifeguarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. two institutions that really controlled our lives. Yeah, at the time. <laughs> um, but so I kind of wanted to... And I didn't really mean for this to go down this route, but I started to contrast that time with kind of a more modern era of Catholicism. Um, and I wanted to start by saying that so, Catholicism is a dying institution. Catholicism numbers have been going down since, like, the 90s. It's, uh, it's like, why they do shit like World Youth Day and shit like that. Because they're trying to get young people stirred up and interested. Question. Yes. Are these numbers with, like, the declining interest in religion with like the younger generation like overall or is there like a percentage of like that overall declining number being more catholic than say baptist or that is hard to say and if i'm honest i don't know that's <laughs> fair sorry i'm asking no, no you're all good that's yeah. a that's a really good question though i don't know if like there's like a bump in like other religions but catholicism's just going down um i don't i only looked up catholicism to be honest i don't even have like numbers for how much it's dropped well i don't know if you really could know that statistic i'm Yeah, yeah fair um but so while kind of doing some research for this part i kind of found a really interesting parallel and if you'll bear with me here i'm gonna run with it hell yeah so, as a dying institutional structure, the Catholic Church has distinct similarities to 1920s Germany and Italy. Um, a little bit of, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, there's, um, particularly in, like, the middle of the, in the middle of the country and in parts of Europe, there is a heavy trad fash movement within the catholic church mm-hmm. um and thinking about this and the catholic church is a dying institution i kind of came up with a reasoning and a way to explain this that i read a lot of articles about this and i couldn't find anybody else that explained it in a way that made sense to me as a former catholic um so first of all What I think a lot of people don't point out is that the Catholic Church is an ideal place for traditional fascists. Um, I mean, if you're you're looking at it even from, like, a traditional standpoint, the evangelical church doesn't have, like, that much history. Um, Like, like if you look up the evangelical history of the church, it goes back to, like, the 1700s, but, like, everything about it up until, like, the late 18, early 1900s is, like, doctrinal differences in, like, Germany. Um, 
And then you don't really start seeing evangelical blocks in the United States until like the 19th century. Uh, and then it's not even like a particularly powerful voting block until Reagan whipped him up in the 80s. So as a religious community to build around, evangelicals aren't like a great community for fascists who, who are looking for that aesthetic, which I'll get into later. Um, however, Catholicism has a deep history in the United States. It has a deep history in general. It's the it's like the earliest Christian church um, in terms of U.S. history. Um, the uh, state of Maryland was founded by Catholics, um, so they've they've literally been here since the inception of the country. They've been a uh, they've been a voting block, uh, you know, basically since they came into the country. Um, so they. <laughs> In terms of what a traditional fascist would look for, it's kind of the it's kind of the utopia. The problem is is that the Catholic Church has never been primed for fascism. Um, and I kind of want to shift here. I know I just left you with a profound thought, <laughs> and I want to shift here to say that uh, when I was coming up with kind of a definition for fascism or what I'm going to call capital F fascism um, versus like, do I think the United States is, uh, has fascist policies? Yes. Uh, but I have to put like a specific definition on it. So the United States is little F fascist. Let's put a definition on big F fascist. Um, and what I came up with are the aesthetics of traditionalism, um, which is really like traditionalistic fetishization. Mm -hmm. Um, rejection of social modernity and embracing economic and cultural modernity, um, particularly surrounding ultranationalism and capitalism. That's an important one. Um, and for context to really prove my point, um, in Germany, in Italy, you can see this with like deep seated embracing of like Viking and Germanic runes. In Italy, you really see it during twenties uh, and thirties. Italy, they really leaned into uh, ancient Roman culture, um, and then uh, both of those uh, countries at the time had a rejection, a deep seated rejection of gender liberation, communism, rights of the disabled, rights of uh, the LGBTQ community. Um, Italy didn't do as much anti-Semitism. Um, they really didn't do any anti-Semitism until, uh, Germany kind of pressured them. Um, but, uh, Italy did have, uh, their own racial politics. Um, I think they were pretty harsh towards the Romani. Though. Yes, you that's, know, that's what I, yeah, I'm, yeah, don't quote me on that. Okay. Yeah, they were, uh, they were particularly harsh to the, towards the Romani people. Um, and then the last one is in terms of embracing economic and cultural modernity, is you can see this, they have this, um, both of them have state economic intervention on behalf of corporatism and ardent nationalism. Um, so this also, uh, I kind of wrote this in a particular way, but I kind of want to even change the way I wrote it, which is that fascism also, in a lot of ways, follows a virulent and hostile opposition to a leftist movement. I want to change that to a perceived leftist movement, hmm. um, which is usually stoked by hard right-wing propaganda. Um, 
And I'm going to talk about, in terms of the uh, Germany and Italy, I want to talk about two characters that aren't really talked about very often. Um, the first of which in Italy is Giovanni Gelitti, um, who was the Prime Minister of Italy. He was the, on and off the Prime Minister of Italy for the late 1800s and early 1900s. Um, like, he was the Prime Minister of Italy during World War I, and then uh, partway through World War I, uh, someone else was uh, set up as Prime Minister, and then during the 20s, he was Prime Minister again. Um, so he's, like, the second longest-serving Italian Prime Minister. Um, Giovanni Giolitti has <laughs> complicated politics. <laughs> um, he was ostensibly left-leaning and uh, working class and labor aligned. Um, however, he was, in terms of his politics, I guess you could call him like the 1920s version of a lib. Um, like he was famous for being really uh, flexible in and uh, compromising in his politics. And so he, um, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, like basically anytime he was debated, he would bring an issue to a center position. And I don't think that is necessarily his issue. By my understanding, 1920s Italy had a very powerful right wing. Um, and so I think that uh, pushing back on it was hard. Um, there was a moment uh, in terms of his later politics. Um, Mussolini at one point grabs power he's not uh elected as uh or chosen as prime minister of italy and so he marches on rome um and at the time giovanni Giolitti was not chosen to be the next prime minister of italy so he supports this move um he supports mussolini however at, at some point he goes to the king of Italy, Victor Emmanuel III, and says, hey, you cannot let this man be prime minister. And Victor Emmanuel III says, no, he's prime minister of Italy now. Or else I'll probably die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other character I want to talk about is Friedrich Ebert, who is the first president of Weimar Republic Germany. Um he is the also the head of what is called the uh, Socialist Democratic Party of Germany. Um, I want to be kind of clear here. Socialism in Germany takes on a different meaning um, than like the word socialism means. It indicates less like socialism and indicates more, I guess you could call it like populism. Um, which is part of the reason the Nazis have socialist in their name, national socialists, yeah. they're nationalist populists. Um, and so Friedrich Ebert is also in a similar vein, uh, working class aligned, which whips up a hard right, um, propaganda against him. And he is voted out of, uh, the president's, uh, position and voted in is Paul von Hindenburg. Um, Friedrich Ebert's also a complex character because, again, he's not really a socialist. Like, if you look up, like, his general politics, you could say, similarly call him, like, a lib of 1920s Germany. Um, he, he's pretty soft on uh, the right wing. A lot of his cabinet was actually right... Uh, 
uh, right wingers. Um, and most importantly is that he, in his one of his re-election bids, gives political power to an early version of the National Socialist Party um, because they are both considered working class aligned. Um, and so he gives them political power to help defeat kind of a centrist opponent. I want to contrast this with Pope Francis the Pope Francis. Okay. <laughs> now that I've set up historical context, um, I want to talk about modern Catholicism. Finally. Are you sure we're not doing a hockey episode? There's a lot of <laughs> politics in this one. <laughs> um, Catholicism is one of the most aesthetically traditional denominations of Christianity, along with the Orthodox traditions, and far-right figures see Francis as too left-wing, not traditionally theological, and too supportive of the working class and indigenous peoples in Latin America. So because of this, we are seeing cracks form in American and European bases of the Catholic Church, and these cracks are rapidly filling with fascists, who are there to embrace the aesthetic traditions metastasizing around the Tridentine Mass, which is the pre-Vatican Mass. Mm. Um, that's the one they do it in Latin. It's the one where they do it. They're like facing away from the congregation. Yeah. Um, all that shit. Um, and so they uh, they they're come they're uh, you know for the Catholic Church. Um, they are also rejecting the social modernity in the LGBTQ rights, women's choice, women's rights, aid for the poor in the global south, and support for the working class. But these fascists are coming in and embracing a cultural modernity with modern American exceptionalism, which up until now the Catholic Church has been able to eschew because the Catholics were seen as a cultural outsider in generally predominantly Protestant and evangelical societies. So, because there are so many others... Yes. ...now... Yes. ...the Catholics are like, well, you know... Yes. We're, we're not another. <laughs> um, they pulled in Italians uh, being white and not white. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, it's kind of... It's kind of interesting to see, also horrifying, um, because the problem now is that, I don't know if you saw a recent policy Francis had where he's functionally, it's described as a ban on the Latin mass. Um, That's not quite correct. What it actually is, is it is uh, restrictions on on Tridentine masses. where it, that are actually fairly tepid, if you actually read uh, the Pope's letters, which I did. Um, and basically, the way he's re- restricting it is by making, setting up Tridentine Mass in a archdiocese really inconven- inconvenient for the bishop, or for local bishops. Um is so, it in re- Sorry, is it in response yeah. to, like, the more fascist... Yes. support mm-hmm. and he knows this so he's yes. acknowledging the fascist support of yes. this mass that's what's scary um, interesting yes so basically what he's done with the tridentine mass 
is he has set it up so that for a parochial church, that is a parish-level church, to conduct a Tridentine Mass, it has to be regularly overseen by a bishop to make sure that this Tridentine Mass is, quote-unquote, not affecting the growth of the parish's faith. So basically, the way he's the, the way he's restricted this is he's just made it incredibly inconvenient for the bishops because that means you have to regularly go to one church in a diocese and like continuously check and make make sure that like their faith has grown or whatever or their faith isn't waning or whatever. Um, what does that mean? It is though? kind of unclear. I think what he. My best guess is, like, the bishops every so often has to show up and make sure that, like, people aren't sitting in church and, like, their eyes are glazed over. Okay. I thought it was, like, the bishop has to see why the people are there. Are they there for fascism or are they there for the mass? <laughs> no, no, it's basically to make sure everyone's, like, there and is, like, paying attention and, like, the church isn't, like, losing parishioners. Okay. Um, but for context... Archdioceses are huge. They're huge swaths of area. For example, the Archdiocese of Arlington, uh, first of all, includes both of our hometowns. Um, King George? Yes. Is in- what? Yes. The Arch- the, uh, the Diocese of Arlington goes all the way down to Orange County, Virginia. It goes uh, all the way across to, like, Clark County, Virginia. Get out. Yes. Total population of all of the of all of that area is three million people. Holy shit. Yep. Uh about uh I believe it's six hundred and fifty thousand of which are Catholic. Um and then of those there are seventy parish churches. So for a priest or for a bishop to regularly visit one would be a difficult undertaking. Yeah. Yep. So that's You might say. Yeah. So that's how they've that's how they've done it. The problem with this move is that really it's just I, I read a bunch of articles about this. It's kinda of whipped up the fascist base. Um and it's also whipped up like weird Catholic traditionalists to now find themselves aligned with fascists. Because they just like the Tridentine Mass because they're old, and, like, they remember pre-Vatican II. Uh, which, for everyone who doesn't know, Vatican II was a uh, meeting of a number of cardinals and the Pope to make sweeping changes to the Catholic Church um, to make it more people-centric. One of the biggest ones they did was set it up so that you have to do Mass in an area's native language. So he, so he's kind of restricted this Tridentine Mass, um, and in doing so, whipped up a bunch of people, a bunch of tradcaths, to now align with fascists. But the problem is, Francis can't do more because he doesn't have the base. He doesn't have the support base to do more about this. Which is an issue, because fascists are like roaches. And if you do not violently stomp them out in a community, they will take over. Um, so, in my opinion, 
one of two things is going to happen. Either A, the next pope, or that pope's successor. Within our lifetime, there will be an overtly fascist pope. Um, By the way, this is if nothing is done. Uh, This is keeping in mind that this is if nothing is done. We're going to get a fascist pope, or this is going to cause a major schism, because people are upset. (laughs) Um, But the the thing is, what I kind of came up with is this will only cause a schism if Pope Francis is pope for very long, which he probably, or for much longer, because people are mad now. Um, this this is this is like a flashpoint. So if Pope Francis is Pope for a long time with uh, these resentments uh, simmering, they're gonna explode. But I don't I don't really think this is gonna happen because he's eighty five. <laughs> he's like an old ass man. Yeah. Um. So I think I think we're gonna see a fascist Pope again if nothing is done. Do you think? Well, because, like, in order to become a pope, there's an entire process for it. Yes. Do you think that the, like, do you think that the, like, fascism has integrated itself enough into the, like, Vatican Mm -hmm. that a pope would be voted for specifically that reason? For specifically, specifically that reason, like, well, like not just being like, ah, yes, hello, my fellow <laughs> fascists, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but like more those like fascism without saying fascism, yeah. like yeah, those beliefs, you. like more hard, like far right. Um, I would say if it. If it is the next pope or that pope's successor, I would say no. But down the line, my answer would be yes. That makes sense. Um, I think that another problem we're seeing is that to a dying institution, this looks like an influx of new people. And so I don't know that they're going to say no to a group like this. Can they? Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's a pro- that's the problem because fascists as new members of the Catholic faith have an incredible amount of leverage. Um, and I, and I mean, you know, when I, when I'm talking about fascists, like the, one of the less, <laughs> one of the less morally reprehensible people in this group is J.D. Vance. <laughs> um, so we're. You know, we're looking down the barrel of uh, some pretty morally reprehensible people having a lot of power over a thousands of years old institution. Um, so I don't know what that will bring in and of itself. And I don't mean to, like, fear monger like the fascists are coming to get you. Um, no, the fascists but are they are. <laughs> they are coming to get you. Um, I'm an ex-Catholic trans. I think yeah. I'm a... <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're public enemy number one. <laughs> um, <laughs> nah. Yeah, sorry to make my goofy podcast get, get into the politics of 
fascism in a structural institution. JC, I don't think you understand. This is the episode I want to be on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can't do a fun little homestuck bit. Yeah. With Faye. If you're going to, if we're going to talk about Catholic trauma, political movements. Yeah, exactly. History, (laughs) politics. I'm your guy. (laughs) I mean, what, what do you think? No, I actually didn't know about the, I didn't know how big the support was for that, that mass. Yeah. I'm not going to try to pronounce it right now. What was it? Uh, The Tridentine mass? Yeah, Tridentine. Um, Yeah, Um, it's, it's pretty big. And I think especially because like we kind of said earlier, the base of Catholicism is pretty old now. So I think it's just a situation where, you know, you have new people who are fascists and the thing they're really rallying around is around this old thing that old people love. And when the Catholic Church is saying, hey, 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 y'all can't do that. Now these old people are going, oh, my God, man, that was the only thing I liked about church. (laughs) So now they're rallying around it. And so the problem is, is that when you politically align with fascists, fascists have a really have a really good ability to be able to just fold you into their movement yeah um and no i i agree with you mm -hmm. in this i had i didn't know about the fascist support for Mm -hmm. i didn't know it was that large i think i heard of it in passing yeah um i was like oh that's interesting and then i didn't care um well i only saw this because i saw like, uh, I can't remember which one it is, but there was some, like, American, like, far-right, uh, fascist, um, pundit who recently converted to Catholicism, and she was like, Pope Francis isn't Catholic. And I read this article, and I was like, that's dumb. How prevalent is this? <laughs> that I got down a pretty deep rabbit hole about it. I actually think that, maybe I, did she mention the Mass? Yes. Yeah, she, okay. I think maybe I, like, saw the header. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say I read the article. <laughs> that's a lie. But I think I saw that somewhere. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Again, I don't... I try to avoid Catholic politics. <laughs> <laughs> I stay on the Catholic politic podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, like... I think it makes sense. Yeah. I think it would be really interesting to see how, as Catholicism gets more fascist and far right and gets more involved in yeah. that aspect because i think um like more evangelical movements have always been involved in yeah that side of politics mm-hmm. um i wonder if catholics will start getting involved to that extent yeah politically because i know like catholics have been political but not in the like same social movement yeah it's been more community based yeah, ca- i think yeah catholics don't catholics don't show up to like uh abortion clinics and shout in your face they show up and pray the rosary yeah catholics aren't lobbyists yeah <laughs> evangelicals are lobbyists yes um i also think it would be really interesting because i know um because like I, because of like a lot of the like missionary movements mm-hmm. i'm like not all catholics are white yeah so i'd be really curious to see mm. how, how how this affects like uh latin america yeah latin americans or the philippines yeah. um that would be really interesting and like 
this schism happening there mm-hmm. or um things like that. Not that yeah. I know a lot on this subject. <laughs> but um yeah, no, I think it would be very interesting. I mean, not interesting. I think it's horrifying. Yeah. Uh yeah, ooh, absolutely. Neat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well that well that's yeah. a really interesting part about this because so uh, Pope Francis is Argentinian. Yeah. And so a lot of the work he's done has been specifically for uh like Latin American indigenous groups. Yeah. Which is kind of what whipped up fascists um interesting because uh or like started to whip up fascists um to like get involved in catholic politics because you have these white supremacists um who are now upset because a previously heavily colonialist institution and racist institution is now like giving back and doing work for those same people that fucked. Um, and so now you have kind of like, um, like the, the right wing idea of like freedom is like a pie. And if other groups get more, I get less. Is this as best to your knowledge, Uh like actual work to like right wrong the Catholic church has done? Or is this like, posing in that way and therefore is like the far right and the far right kind of knows this but they're taking advantage of that and being like oh my god they're doing so much when it's like they've done (laughs) nothing they're doing nothing um that is unclear i think the catholic as a political institution is kind of like the un where it mostly does like uh, largely symbolic and effectual little like shows um, I think that, I can't tell if Pope Francis wants to help. And I, and I think that's part of the problem I have with, like, <laughs> I don't want to, that's why I said supposed leftist. I don't want to, like, prop up Pope Francis as, like, the good guy of the story, and fascists are, like, the bad guy. Oh, I mean, he's pope. a pope. There's only... Yeah. Pope Pope Francis is not, like, is also not a good guy, but he's not the fascist. Um, And so that's... There's a difference. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He... So, I mean, like, Pope Francis has, like, deeply morally reprehensible views on most things. Um, he's the Pope. (laughs) um, He's, in fact, a Pope. He is, in fact, a Pope. (laughs) Um, But... A lot of the indigenous, by my understanding, a lot of the indigenous stuff that he does is in connection with, like, um, environmentalism and global warming. Okay. Um, so, actual, like... Um, I, I mean, like, aid in that, like, you know, we're gonna try to stop, like, major corporations from cutting down, like, your native homeland, but, like, don't expect help from there. Um okay. <laughs> Um, like they're they're not like getting Brazil to right the wrongs of its past. They're 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 trying to get Brazil to stop selling the Amazon. <laughs> okay. Well, um, good. Yes, good the for Catholic Church versus the logging industry. That <laughs> wasn't on my bingo card, but yeah, you know. Um. So yeah, so it's um, it's it's interesting. Um. I don't. I don't know what will happen. Um, I know I have set up, like, here's what I think will happen in my opinion, but I don't really know. Um, what I'm hoping, because I just had a thought of, like, what if people, 
what if the fascists aren't really Catholic and they're just like, this is a political fight and fascists love a political fight. So, but I wonder if it's less that they are converting to Catholicism, but the Catholic church thinks they are. I think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that, like, whether, like, being a good Catholic and a bad Catholic has always been kind of loose. Yeah. You know, there are people who are, like, we'll say they're Catholic and then they only go to church on, you know, Christmas, not even Easter. Yeah. Easter's supposed to be the important one. Yeah. Um, you know, and, like, I think you can be a bad Catholic very easily. Yeah. You know? Um, so I don't think it matters Yeah. in the end, <laughs> to be quite honest. Like, mm-hmm. if they are using that institution to do what they want to and will, to mm-hmm. gain more support, to indoctrinate more people, yeah. to form, uh, like, different types in, in many cases, like, stronger communities, mm-hmm. religion's a very powerful method of gaining community support and yeah. doing community indoctrination yeah um and it's kind of interesting that they're using catholicism because like i mean one thing fascists do to like get like younger mo- mostly boys let's face it to get like teen boys and like young men is to like kind of frame them as like these disaffected persecuted people in a country that hates them But, like, for Catholicism, that's historically true. (laughs) And so I think it's interesting that they've, you know, I mean, like, because evangelicals aren't, like, a culturally hated institution. They're, like, one of the most powerful, uh, like, lobby groups in the country. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. Right? They actually... Are using real disaffected feelings that Catholics have. Yeah, as someone who is literally bullied (laughs) for being Catholic as a child. Yeah. Yeah, you can attest to this. That's a very good point. Yeah. Um, I think... I've tried to see, like, what is the Catholic vibe on Joe Biden? As, like... Because Joe Biden's Catholic. Oh, that's right. He is. Right? Uh, That's the thing. It's really easy to forget... He kind of never talks about it. Um, is he our second Catholic president? Yes, because Kennedy was the first. And he got shot. Yeah, he got... But so, yeah, so it's... It's really hard to get a vibe on what Catholics actually think of Biden. Because, like, on the, you know, because I've, I've tried to talk to people. Um, and on the one hand, like, yeah, he's Catholic. But on the other hand, like... Catholics are on the cusp of, I think Catholics are close to being like the Italians where like nobody really discriminates against Italians anymore. That is a non-issue for Italians. I think it's, that's what it's turning into for Catholics. And so like the same thing for like the Irish and Italians where like, now that you're the in group, now that you're part of the in group, uh, you don't really care about any more of the out groups. Yeah. I think that's what's happening for Catholics. And so, like, they don't really care about Joe Biden because they're part of the in-group. They don't feel community with him because he doesn't align with a lot of them politically. Yeah. Which is really funny because, yes, he does. He just does it with a little D next to his name. <laughs> no, 100%. Um, <laughs> do you have any more thoughts? Um, 
so I think it would be really interesting to see that as um, fascists become more involved in Catholicism Mm -hmm. and religion in general becomes just more far right, not just like right or centrist, but actual far right and Mm -hmm. using that like religion to influence the politics, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and like kind of closing that loop. I wonder if the like more of the like more of like religious communities are going to start like working together towards politics mm-hmm. like lobbying and you know oh, like more collaboration um you know because i think it's really going to come down to a, like a religion like religious right versus yeah. other that's an interesting point i hope not <laughs> right um, but i i have a feeling that that's where it might come down i um, i think of, it's honestly just going to be a god versus other well not, not even necessarily god i think it will be simply christianity as a united front yeah versus other <laughs> yeah christian versus uh, non-christians 100% um and it won't matter where the or like the origin of in fact it like it could form a whole entire sub yeah christianity based on nationalism fascism and like the american exceptionalist yeah, idea where, yeah wherein wherein the actual dogma that you follow is is largely uh <laughs> um inconsequential um because our our political values are aligned right uh that would be interesting uh by interesting i mean horrifying um and i hope uh never happens um but right. like I, but like i said i have a real concern that that is what is going to happen um just because francis does, pope francis doesn't appear to have the like base to do anything real about like fascism and i mean like if you break it down to like you know at a national level like joe biden's not going to do anything about it um uh british you know in england their leaders aren't going to do anything about it in areas of like um uh catholic uh nations where this is happening like poland they're not going to do anything about this um so i think that is the concern is that for this to change somebody has to actually do something for anything to change, someone actually has to do something. Yeah, there ha- everyone's very good at not doing anything. Yeah, there can't be like, there can't be like a tepid symbolic change or like, a, oop, it's kind of harder to do the Tridentine Mass now because the problem was never the Tridentine Mass until you took it away. Um, it was just like the thing that fascists like. Um, but, but the problem is, is that what's he going to do? Tell like local parish priests and bishops like hey if someone comes in and they seem kind of fash get them the fuck out of there they're gonna be like i'm sorry are you telling me to turn away new parishioners like right. <laughs> i'm sorry I, my my church in western michigan has seen like eight parishioners over the last three years and they're all 90 <laughs> no 100 percent. they yeah the church doesn't care the church yeah. will take in fashion yeah the yeah, the church will take in fascists. 100%. Like, I don't yeah. doubt that at all, because yeah. they have. And every, you know, in God's eyes, <laughs> everyone's. Um, And so it's kind of interesting to think about, like, 
the image of Catholics as shifting uh, from, like, a fucking weirdo in, like, 2005. Just, like, a big fucking freak. Um, that you're like, he's nice, but real weird. Um, to, like, your image of a Catholic as, like, either a very old person or a fascist. Going from asparagus, huh? To Jews, huh? (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I'm sorry to end on such a somber note. Um, (laughs) No. But if you would like to jaw at me, you can do so on Twitter at Lemmy Jaija. Jack, where can the people jaw at you? Um, I'm not on a lot of social media, but you can find me on Twitter at... uh... Hey Vembo, Vembo Italiano, and Vembo number five. <laughs> um, and you should absolutely jaw at JC because I want to see some more community interaction from you guys on here. Yeah, jaw at me. Mostly because uh, his tweets have made me want to block him so many times. <laughs> and I just need to know that his listener is out there uh, if they do actually follow him. <laughs> that they also want him to not have such (laughs) cursed posts. Yeah, they also want me off Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Bully JC off Twitter. Don't. Um, (laughs) No, but thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. And uh, as per per usual, have a good one, y'all. God.